0: Hello everybody, Mackenzie here from Before the Downbeat A Musical Podcast. Yes, I know Season 5 has been taking a bit longer to get put together and get out, but I promise you that toward the beginning of 2023, we will have the Season 5 premiere. And boy, do we have a great season lined up for you, and we definitely have some big announcements to make. In the meantime, though, between now and the new year, we are going to be doing something special. As you may know, I am part of another theater company called Cup of Hemlock Theater, where I am the co artistic producer. And on that show, we do reviews of live theater that we see, as well as reviews of stage pro shots, as well as artist interviews and roundtable discussions. So between now and then, I'm going to be releasing. Our episodes we've done on musical pro shots we've covered, including the pro shot of Oklahoma starring Hugh Jackman. We have a pro shot of Showboat that we've done. We've done one of David Hasselhoff's Jekyll and Hyde. So we have a few great episodes that I love to introduce you to this other venue that I do. So if you have interests beyond musicals and want to know more about traditional plays and hear from other local artists, This is a great podcast you can listen to, so check out these episodes, and I hope you'll join us on the Cup of Hemlock feed as well, because you'll find me there as well. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned for season five. I promise it's coming early 2023. Thanks so much. See you soon, and enjoy listening.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup. Duet reviews. I'm Jillian Robinson, your associate producer here at Cup of Hemlock, and I am joined by one of our amazing artistic producers, Mackenzie Horner. Hey, Mackenzie. And today we are unpacking Diana the Musical, which we have both viewed on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the production. We are going to talk about how it was revered, how it was reviewed, and just to give us, you know, let's, let's
0: do introductions first to start us off, yeah. Mac. So how you doing? I'm doing okay, darling. Pip-pip and all that good stuff, you know. <laughs> Chimney sweeps and Mary Poppins. Oh my
1: goodness. <laughs> the accent. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. That's exactly. good. You know what's, oh. what's in your cup, Mac? Oh, tonight I have grapefruit and tangerine crystallite. So nice. one of my favorite flavors, so. That is what I'm drinking tonight. Yeah, a nice little crystallite drink What about you, Jill? What is your ensemble? And what is in your cup?
1: Yeah, so I decided to kind of go for an 80s look, an 80s -hmm. vibe. I got the turtleneck. I have this, like, floral patterned shawl, if you will. I have some chunky flip-on earrings, Mm. little triangles, black triangles here. And my drink, I'm having some Pinot Grigio in like a fancy Mm. champagne glass. Mm. And beside me, for visual viewers, I have a water bottle, but also the wine bottle to sort of refresh as I may need as we go through this panel. So to get further into it before we dive into discussion Mac, mm-hmm. uh, let's just let our viewers know a little bit about Diana the Musical. So yes. Diana the Musical, music and lyrics by David Bryan and Joe Di Pietro, mm-hmm. directed by Christopher Ashley, mm-hmm. and as I mentioned before, this musical is streaming on Netflix, started mm-hmm. streaming October 1st, 2021. And basically, this musical was recorded the summer of 2020. For Netflix. And then its opening night on Broadway was November 17th, 2021. Yep. Mm -hmm. Correct. The show closed on December 19th, 2021. And so there was a total of 33 performances and 16 previews. And that was the run. That was the run on Mm -hmm. the stage. But uniquely, it is preserved on Netflix for our
0: our discussion, it, our delight, etc. It kind of all came about after the pro shot of Hamilton came out and all the other stream sources were like, what else, like, what do we got on our roster? Because Netflix has The Crown, they're kind of like, oh, perfect, there's a Diana musical coming. Let's pro shot that one and then, it, then we can recommend The Crown and Diana the Musical is like a dual watch routine there. So, hence why it did what it did. I, was, I At least that's my theory as to why Netflix decided to randomly pick up this musical.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Definitely picked up on the sort of riding the Diana wave, if you mm, will.
0: Like Diana wave. Right.
1: Because we're all anticipating The Crown Season 5 to come up to continue that Diana wave.
0: Yes. November. Um, November right. of this year, we have The Crown Season 5 with Elizabeth Debicki playing Diana, Imelda Staunton playing Queen, the Queen, Jonathan Price, Prince Philip, Dominic West as prince charles it's going to be a roaring season uh, from all the filming they've been doing and following the filming along today they actually wrote filming stuff for the 1992 windsor castle burning so that's mm -hmm. exciting the fun fact Mm -hmm. fun fact of the day
1: so take us back from the spotlight from the crown and back to diana the musical let's dive into our discussion so Mm -hmm. First, let's unpack the production itself a little bit, Mac. What was your favorite production element and why, etc.? The
0: costume changes, the quick change mm-hmm. costume changes. That uh, that's where the stage magic was. When all of a sudden Diana appears in her wedding dress, and yeah, she is... kind of just steps in. Yes, that's the moment you and I rewound multiple times to try and catch the change to figure out how she did it because it's such a bit of wonderful theatrical magic. That's like, oh, perfect. I mean, there was some stuff that was obviously the one time where it's the body double walking across the stage when she turns around and she's in the outfit. But there are some really great moments like that. And I mean, the costume design really did capture some of the highlight looks of Diana from her pregnancy kind of blue sailor outfit to the F.U. dress or the revenge dress, as it's more well known. There's that dress. Like there's a few, her wedding dress. Like, There's a few very iconic Diana looks that definitely the costume designers did their due diligence and went into the archives and really kind of found some of the really highlight pieces that ever kind of knows diana for so yeah that and was, is it
1: the iconic is it a buffalo or sheep sweater that that she has uh
0: deer deer it's a deer it's a, a deer doe. okay a yeah I, I or, really or, appreciate... oh wait, wait, no sorry it is a sheep because there's the one black yes. sheep uh, one sheep. black sheep right, right yeah her sweater I mean, could you be any more like yeah, transparent detail. with the message you're trying?
1: <laughs> no, but then that like same sweater was a costume piece for her in the Crown.
0: In the yeah, Crown, yeah. it's in the Crown, it's deer because Peter Morgan has oh, this is. big thing okay. with uh, stags and does. Yeah. In uh, the Queen with Helen Mirren, and there's a whole subplot about the hunting party hunting this big magnificent stag. Yeah. And in the Crown, the, the episode where Diana or Diana shows up at Balmoral, they're hunting. They're also hunting a doe. Yeah. And is the one that helps catch the dough, which, once again, much more self-symbolism in that one compared to the black sheep sweater. But once again, the costume designers, I mean, you can see in the background here, I mean, we have hmm. the Queen and Charles. I mean, they do look, dress-wise, like their characters. They certainly didn't skimp on that element, because that is a very notable thing about fashion in the 80s and 90s is that it is very distinct. It does, once again, like it's funny to think now that the 80s and 90s are historical time periods. But they are, that people absolutely go back to and can look at the references and go, okay, what was popular? What wasn't popular? And Diana was a trendsetter in fashion. So it's important to get the fashion elements right. Because that is a major part of her character, that influence that she had on the fashion world. A
1: lot of flash, a lot of texture.
0: A lot of rough, a lot 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 of of color
1: pop. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But then we see in the second act, when we get into more of the 90s, it's more of the sleek pantsuit or the businesswoman like blazer and skirt look that kind of really kind of takes shape, which is kind of that change in, 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 that we saw in the nineties. Right. So uh-huh. once again, doing a really good job capturing the elements. So I definitely say the costume design and the costume quick changes that were done were definitely the highlight production element for me.
1: Yeah. Love that. I totally agree. My favorite production element was kind of, so this is going to sound broad, but I'll, I'll unpack it a bit more, but like the mise-en-scène as we go scene by scene. So what I found with this production, it was kind of snapshotty. Yes.
0: As opposed
1: to sort of like chronology. So I, I did like though, when there would be sort of a, you knew a longer conversation or longer moment was going to be had on scene Mm -hmm. on the stage when the sets were a bit more elaborate or Mm -hmm. like truly placed a certain way. So for example, their to their welsh tour when they went to wales yeah i really liked the way they lined up the folks like introducing themselves yeah like there was just yeah Yeah, it kind of had like that 80s like this is gonna sound so odd but if you picture like 80s sometimes i picture like the blocked out like lightning bolt like you know that kind of like rigid retro-y kind of vibe and i found a lot of our like set setting the stage, as you will, Mm -hmm. were kind of placed in that way. Even when there was like the runway with the FU dress, like the sort of blocked out way that the chorus members kind of flooded in purposely on like a jagged diagonal in some of the scenes. So I'm not really sure exactly, specifically an element, I guess, like I would say, I guess the mise-en-scene of each sort Mm -hmm. of snapshot moment. And we had our, our, like the boxing ring between Camilla and Diana, right? Where That was kind of, again, like a little mm-hmm. red ring around kind of 80s vibe. Um, Rocky. So, yeah, I thought, exactly. I thought there it was a really great container for, like you said, Mac, the like costumings and all the other things yeah. and the that needed to pop. Like, there mm-hmm. was a really good, unique structure. The only thing yeah. that kind of threw me off is because I felt this piece was snapshotty and not really like a, a through line to follow all the way. It was a bit of a disruption to kind of be like, okay, now where are we, right? Or like, what is the scene mapping out? It took me like an extra second to kind of ground myself into Mm -hmm. why the stage looks like it Mm -hmm. is, right? Or like, yeah, why did they choose to kind of bring in Mm -hmm. both beds and have, you know, so- I thought it was really unique. It just sometimes, like, didn't... It pulled me out of it a little bit,
0: too, yeah. as opposed to
1: just kind of having one stylistic staging mm-hmm. choice throughout. If that makes
0: sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. definitely like some of the... I definitely liked more of the sturdier sets, like like the Queen, like the Officer's Wife scene, which we'll get into momentarily. Uh, but, like, mm-hmm. the Queen's Sitting Room set was a really great one, because that was, like, a continual home-based set. Like, it starts... The show starts with that set and the queen showing up saying, Charles, find a wife. And yeah. then we continually go back to that moment, to that setting with the queen always always in her kind of in, in, in her kind of cage there, kind, yeah. kind of like ready to go, which was great. So yeah, and there definitely were some really good moments, like like the opening of act two, whereas the two different bedrooms, like you have Charles and Camilla in one and you have Diana yeah. and her riding instructor in the other, and those two perfectly just pictured worlds of yep. two very different looks. Like like Charles and Camille have more of a posh cottage-y look, and Diana and, and her riding instructor more urban, yep. more metropolitan yeah. city look. It just kind of shows, just once again, reflects the strong differences between Charles and Diana. Why? Another reason why they were very much oiled and water. Like, they should have gone together, yeah. but there, there were just fundamental elements of them that just were never going to click with one another. So. Yeah, Yeah. the sets were another great way of explaining that to the audience.
1: Great, 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 great. Okay, so we're going to stay with the production practicality of it all. Yes. we're going to pivot us to our music and lyrics by David Bryan and Joe D.P. Yeah. The score, Matt. What Mm. did you think of the score? What was your favorite
0: song? Yeah, so score. This definitely felt like it was trying to be 80s. Like, kind of big box musical, very broad stroke. like uh, This show, okay, so this is where I'll get into it here. So, this show, unfortunately, got itself tripped up in the material. And the songs and the score are definitely a reflection of that. Where there are, my favorite song of this whole piece is An Officer's Wife. Which is the 11 o'clock number sung by the Queen to Diana. And what I like about this moment is that it's a character moment. It's a really big moment to kind of really get underneath the character and get away from the superficial and into the complexity of a character. Like the Queen's moment here, which is described being that that joyful moment of life where she was an ordinary woman. She was an officer's wife. She wasn't princess. She wasn't Queen Elizabeth. She was just officer's wife, Elizabeth Mountbatten. That is who she was. She was married. It, 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 she said it many times in interviews. That was one of her happiest times. And the fact that she's harkening back to that and trying to connect with Diana on a level, saying, "Listen, I know life is tough. I know it's hard. I know this isn't working, but there's a rhyme and a reason for everything that plays out in this. And that, and the fact that we got to this level a second last song of the number, then we had this whole rest of the show that was very superficial." We never got to that deep of a level anywhere else in the show, really. And I think that was the I don't want to say the failure, but definitely the pitfall of the show was that because there was so much material for these two to cover, there was not enough time for them to really sink in and give everybody that chance. Like Charles and Camilla deserved a number like that, because I know people hate on the two of them and the fact that. Recently, Camilla was announced that she will be the queen consort to Charles. And everybody was like, oh, but Diana, blah, blah, blah. She's people's princess. Uh It's Like, I get it. But Diana's passed. Camilla is fulfilling the role. She is Charles's wife. And she has been his support. And I mean, from everything I've read about the two of them, he's never strayed from her. Like, yes, Charles cheated on Diana to be with Camilla. But between Charles and Camilla, there has been this strong bonded relationship between the two of them for some kind, they're soulmates to one another really when you read about the passion they have for one another. So the fact that we got so little of understanding of why are these two people together? Why is Charles blowing up his marriage that somebody that the crown loves, the people love like why is he being so destructive and hurtful to this woman who has done nothing wrong to him except that she's not the woman he wanted in the wedding dress at the altar. And the fact that we never got the complexity of that, like he has this big explosion, and angry, vengeful number after she does the dance at the Royal Ballet that really makes it, that's supposed to be this big kind of blow up final straw moment that leads to their separation in the War of the Whaleses in Act 2. But the fact that we never got the depth that the every one of these characters deserved the depth that Judy Kay got to give Elizabeth at right. the end of the show. Yeah. That really made you connect with her as a character, because if they if you take that number away from Elizabeth, she becomes the dowdy queen who was saying, "Charles, get married. It's like fix the problem yourself. It's not my problem." All right, Diana, peace out. Like that'd be her arc without that song. Because you gave her that song, you gave her more depth and more character to connect with. That I left that show going, "Yeah, I see why the queen has endured for so right. long as this lovable monarch. Like she's 95." Years old, and she's still highly popular. The fact that people are concerned for her right now, rightfully so, because they know she was positive for COVID, and the worry and the care that the, the, everybody around the world has for this woman is understandable because she is someone who is witty and personable and kind to a certain level. And the fact that this musical gave her that moment that you could connect with her, because if not, you would come away going, Wow, that woman, excuse my language, but she's a bitch <laughs> to Charles and everybody. <laughs>
1: there's your one but, swear word <laughs> like yeah episode. yeah there's
0: the one swear word but th- th- that's exactly what you would come away thinking about the queen if you didn't give her that moment and the fact that yeah. charles and camilla don't get their moment neither does diana like even uh-huh. like what's her the diana's lover the horse hewitt? riding instructor hewitt yeah hewitt like mm-hmm. the fact that he kind of gets a moment like that in the bedroom with her and i'm like oh yeah. you're actually giving him a bit of depth a little bit more than like Anybody else in this show? and An interesting yeah. choice to make. The fact that he's like, kind of pleading with her to like not go out and just stay uh-huh. in, be the homebody, not draw attention. Uh, it's yeah. interesting, but yeah, I would say definitely the score trips itself up by trying to tackle too much and then therefore not giving every all the characters the right chance that they deserve to be fully developed. And, and so I yeah, think- that's kind of my long lecture. Okay.
1: No, 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 I love that. And I think you bring up a really good point too of Mac and our viewers know that Mac and I love musicals. I've been a part of musicals and there is something, an element of musical, musicality in musicals is to advance emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Is the reason why someone goes into a song or a dance or Mm -hmm. both is because there's no more words left to say. It's overflowing so much with emotion that Mm -hmm. it's expressed now Mm -hmm. through these other creative art forms. And I totally agree with you. That song resonated with me as well, because yeah, the queen was given sort of her moment to ground down and we got to see her cracked open a little bit. And I agree. I think, the the score and the script didn't marry themselves very well for me and I think that's that was part of the problem as the script didn't really allow there to be other rounded moments for these characters to sort of have their individual explosions and when they did they was kind of this might be a little bit difficult to explain but for example, in Charles Outburst post the dance yeah. sequence, that was kind of to drive the story more so yeah. than it was to get a scope into what mm-hmm. he's dealing with or who he is mm-hmm. as, as the character. So I felt that throughout. I think everyone like sang mm-hmm. the score beautifully. And I they did, I did they absolutely did. love the musical, but similar to what I said with the sort of mm-hmm. choppy snapshot vibe mm-hmm. of the piece by like scene by scene. Yeah. I had that by song by song too, because yeah. there were some moments where, and again, maybe this was the vibe, it seemed like we were listening to a jukebox a little bit, right? Yeah. Where we were kind of rolling through, randomized. Mm-hmm. Cause I kept kind of asking, like, what is the genre of this piece? Mm-hmm. Is it supposed to be kind of like 80s spunk funk where it's kind of like, you know, we go from ballad to upbeat sort of rock opera, if you will, to the classic like musical theater piece? Yeah. But there was, I didn't really have an answer by the end of it. And again, maybe that was a choice like to Mm -hmm. not pigeonhole it to be one thing or the other. But again, Mm -hmm. it just unfortunately had me constantly Mm -hmm. stepping outside of my viewing experience to kind of suss out what's going on Mm -hmm. here and then jumping back in. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess the Mm -hmm. score and the music for me, super strong, just Mm -hmm. like the aesthetics of the staging, Mm -hmm. but a little bit just dis- too discontinued for me to kind mm. of give it my full yeah. bravo, if you will. Yeah. Um, but my favorite song, Ooh. my favorite song was the dress. Because oh, I just yes. I the love fackety, Bruce Dow. Yeah. And so I think that was such uh that was just such yeah. a fun breath of fresh air, right? It was just kind of like a silly we got to see, you know, it's him and Diana, the only thing on stage. It's like a dressing scene. So like the stakes mm-hmm. are a little bit more vulnerable right. and we know what's coming up. We know that it's going to be the revenge dress. So mm-hmm. the fact that there was just some like, a, it was like a song and dance moment. Right. And yeah. the stage was just filled with color with like how yeah. Bruce sang it with. Yeah. Like so many, uh, again, it was a little the song itself was a little, the vibe of it was a little oddly placed. Mm-hmm. To kind of what what I was saying of how yeah like yeah like, not really knowing why this type of song is included mm-hmm. in this mishmash score but yeah I just I loved it I had a lot of fun with the
0: dress yeah yeah I mean <laughs> I'll piggyback with you on this because yeah. like yeah like yeah yeah like, the dress song the feckity, 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 feckity dress you know like like uh, they chose good moments like the fact that she like, the revenge dress is an iconic. Part of the war, the Waleses in the early nineties, but they chose to go about it the wrong way. They went for the flash versus the character. Like yeah. I, I, there should been a moment of Diana before she steps out of the uh, out of the out of the limo, where it's like yeah. she knows what she's doing. Like Diana was not naive. She was not dumb in the sense of she knew what she was doing when she stepped out of that limo in that outfit. It was a strategic point of it's on the same night as Charles giving his interview. Like, like she knows exactly what she's doing, and it, and the fact that, like, makes me wonder of did Diana have second, feel it, second feelings about displaying herself in that way, being so revealing to try and draw attention. Was this the way she wanted to fight? Like, what's yeah. going on with her there, or even like with Charles? Like, instead of having this and angry, hateful song towards Diana backstage, it would have been better to have the moment almost freeze or slow in time. So like as he's watching Diana do this attention drawing dance, it would be even better to have him like uh, sitting in his chair going, God, I just can't win. I don't feel comfortable. Like, and even like the fact that the opening number of the show is this number called in the pages of her book, Once Upon a Time, like Diana opens with Once Upon a Time. And then it would be great to have Charles then come in talking about how the fact that like he can't settle down because they're not Camilla. That's basically yeah. the answer of why he wasn't settled at the age of thirty. Was because, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly, uh, wrongly because Camilla was married and had a family of her own at the time. But he was in love with this woman, like passionately in love with her. And the fact that like it would be such a stronger choice to have the show set of opening with this queen walks in and Charles, you have to get married number. Like like at like Charles like Diana gets an opening song, Charles oh, yeah. gets an opening song where it's. Charles waiting for his mother to arrive in the room going, Hey, I know what she's gonna say to me, but I just yep. can't find the person because I because, because I know because my heart is not connecting mm-hmm. with anybody but this person who I can't be with. Like yeah. the choice of where they put the song or the choice of how they frame the song was just always off the mark. Like there could yep. be such a great character piece within this where you can still do her whole life. I mean, we'll get into more of the history of the yeah, way they yeah. told the story later on, but like we get into her whole life and the fact that they chose these moments to, to go for the flash instead of the character that was driving the yeah. moment is where they well, really kind of tripped themselves is for me anyway. No, and I no, I
1: agree. And, mm-hmm. and again, as we go further, like we'll definitely unpack this more, yeah. but I think it just what comes to mind is remembering that this musical is sort of standing in as a biopic Like, and we've chatted about this a lot, Mac, in our, just our crown conversations, but there's certainly no lack of Diana material around the world. There has been shows, there has been movies, there has been podcasts, there has been books. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like if you are going, it's because she's so revered and there's been so many different iterations of her life and who she was Mm -hmm. as a person it's almost like if you are going to do something with her in mm-hmm. the media nowadays, mm-hmm. it's like, there has to be almost like more, what is your why even more? Like, yeah. you know, like, if, you know, you start doing a project, it's like the big old question, like why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. And so with this musical, I was so excited because it was like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like coming out of pandemic, like what, right. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Let's dive into to something mm-hmm. to do with Diana with this sort of, mm-hmm lens or this in this sort of environment right And why now and I think just again I know we are still talking about the score too but what we've talked about thus far is there almost needed to be more focus on Diana right like mm-hmm. I'm saying about like why are you bringing up another iteration of
0: her yeah mm-hmm.
1: and it was through like the lack of sort of Like we've already, we've said, like the lack of continuation of story or lack of, Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, that song's missing the mark. It's like, I think the more and more, we, at least for me, I watched the piece. I felt like the farther and farther away we were getting from like who Diana actually is. And again, we'll unpack that too. But I Mm -hmm. think it's really neat that we're finding like the practicality of the production Mm -hmm. and how that's sort of a bit discontinued Mm -hmm. is actually reflecting a little bit negatively on. The titular character, right, yeah. or the person that we're highlighting. Um, yeah. So I think let's just take us to the next question. Yeah, um, let's do it. We've mentioned Charles, we have mentioned Camilla, we've mentioned our Queen, and so mm-hmm. Mac, like, what did you think of the casting? The casting overall, and I, I want to unpack the double casting choice between yeah. queen Elizabeth II and Barbara Cartland. Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm. I'll let
1: you. I'll let you just start us off. Yeah, casting
0: was. Yeah, casting was good. I mean, I love Judy Kaye, Tony Winter Judy Kaye for playing the original Carlotta in Phantom of the Opera. She was Patty Lapone's stand-in in Sweeney Todd when she played the tuba. Like Judy Kay is a phenomenal actress. So I mean, they're, she I mean, she's behind me, and I mean, huh. she looks like the queen. Like she looks kind of like a Melba Stanton, to be honest. There's a bit of that Melba Staunton look to her. So like these characters all kind of. Worked. I mean, I would say the actress who played Camilla, who is sorry, I'm pulling up her name. Erin. Davy. Erin Davy. Erin Davy. Like, yeah. I would say she was a bit too young for Camilla because the whole thing about Camilla is that she's elder than Charles and Diana. So I, I would say they kind of aged her down a bit. I would say the actress who played Diana, Gina DeWall, I think is how we say her name. Gina. It's actually, I recently watched an a interview with her and it is
1: Gina, just a very Gina. fun Gina way to spell Gina Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you kind of commented on this too. It's a bit of she's kind of got a bit of a carry thing going on uh, with the eyes, very big eyes. Right. So, so I mean, like I would say that was a little bit off-putting at times, but her voice was great. Like vocally, she oh was my easily able to belt, the, yeah. uh, uh, belt out those numbers. The, act, the actor who played Charles Roe Hartafrum, I would say he was actually kind of a little bit too good-looking to be Charles. Like, once again, <laughs> not to be mean to Charles, but Charles yeah. definitely is not his now kind of disgraced younger brother, Andrew, who was always kind of a bit more of the the looker of the princes. I mean, Edward is kind of his own thing there. Yeah, But Charles always had a bit more of a homely look. It was kind of the way kind of people kind of connected with him we come back. It was that he was kind of this gawky guy with kind of slender, big ears. Like, I was kind of, his thing was Charles is gawky, but yet he's this, most eligible bachelor in town. So, I mean, but you look at the guy behind me here, like, he could easily go on to be cast in like a Marvel superhero movie. I could see that happening. Rogers the Musical, cast this guy. Bridgerton season three. (laughs) Bridgerton season three, you know, that type of thing. Like, he was great in the part. I just think sometimes we went a little bit Hollywood with a bit of the casting where it's like, age Camilla down a bit. Make Charles look a little bit more, you know, Su- suave. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. I'll definitely say, though, Judy K is probably, I'd say, the closest to the mark of historically the Queen's look. But overall, I mean, the cast, once again, the cast was solid. It was, once again, it was their material that ultimately kind of tripped them up in their performances. Totally agree. Yeah, as a performer, Jill, you know, there's only so much you can do with the material you're given. Yeah, I, I, Absolutely, you make, yeah. Bruce Dow killed it with his material doing the fuckity, 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 fuckity dress. Like, he stole that scene. Absolutely he Mm -hmm. did. He was great throughout as kind of the queen or the princess's royal companion there. Yep. Um, Agreed. So for sure, like, that was great in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, like, once again, the cast did good with what they were given. Unfortunately, what they were given wasn't the best material to work with. So I would say that's there. I mean, I will say it was weird casting the Queen of Barbara Cartland as, just because they didn't mesh. Like, Barbara Cartland's whole thing was romance she's a romance author so it's like the whole thing of you know like she's the romance fairy godmother for she really is the godmother for diana um right uh or or stepmother whatever it was or this maternal figure so Mm -hmm. i go i don't quite see the connection like i guess you're saying queen cold barbara cartland imaginary figure funny but i'm like i don't know why you would need to double cast that particular role when you can guess just get a chorus member ensemble member, to take on that role and have a featured moment in the yeah,
1: show. Yeah, it, it almost, just to kind of, like, I will probably answer inverse, like, to piggyback off of the double mm-hmm. casting, and then I'll also like go back to casting yeah. as well, but... Yeah, I was confused, because I personally didn't know the story, like, I didn't know Barbara, who Barbara Cartland was, historically, and, and her relevancy, <laughs> yeah, to to Diana's life, right. so I was like, oh, who's this woman? And, but, you know, I'm like, I'm just gonna watch the play and probably mm-hmm. figure it out, but then... The fact that it was also played by Judy, I was like, wait, is this the, no, it's not the queen. We're not watching the queen, but like what? So again, it was another one of those moments of like, I had to kind of step outside and make a purpose for it. So like one of the things floating in my mind is like, are these supposed to be like two sort of matriarchal figures Mm -hmm. in Diana's life or two, these like Mm -hmm. older sort of guides or, some female role model for Diana to kind of aspire to or to Mm -hmm. reach out to because I felt like the queen and Barbara's presence in the piece was pretty much equal like we kind of saw them both be sifted into the plot throughout but again it was kind of just the idea of including the character of Barbara Cartland was a little bit in outfield for me because I was like it'd be one thing if this person in diana's life and again i'm not proficient on diana's life so maybe you know folks who are more engrossed in the novels and the biographies and the whatever of diana may be able to correct me but as far as i knew just from like the amount of information i did Mm -hmm. know going into this i didn't think barbara cartland was that big of an impact in diana's life maybe i'm misspeaking if i am but the fact that i kind of had to like Figure out, like, kind of Wikipedia or Google her mm-hmm. on the side of watching the show. Yeah. Which we were able to do because this existed only on Netflix for a lot yeah. of us folks who didn't get the opportunity to see it on Broadway. But yeah, so again, it was a moment of this was a choice, and I didn't really mm-hmm. know why we were choosing to do this. And I think mm-hmm. you make a good point, Mac. Like, it would have been super neat, actually, to see another older actress step into Barbara yeah. Cartland. And now we have these two women sort of acting as mm-hmm. like grounded killers. Mm-hmm. You know that at least, and maybe if they—if they are a bit shaped more out to be like these matriarchal guides for yeah. Diana, like I could maybe see that be a string mm-hmm. of discovery in the piece, right, yeah. or or a symbol in the piece. But yeah, so I guess kind of going back to what did I think about the casting? I feel the same way you did, Mac. I think everyone is so talented on stage. I also want to shout out the chorus. I thought yeah. everyone in. The and the ensemble added so much external verve to every scene and again like we talked about the score kind of being not really knowing what genre it was at times Mm -hmm. or jumping from like a ballad to a rock opera like that takes some like physical dexterity Mm -hmm. and like brain dexterity to have to kind of switch on a dime I am now in full servant garb and then the next thing you're like instantly reporter doing leaps across the state like There was so many twists and turns, no pun intended, with the Uh ensemble, that I just thought it was brilliant. It kind of reminded me of Jesus Christ Superstar, the concert version. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I thought the ensemble was stunning for that, too. And they really were the heartbeat, like the pulse of the piece Mm -hmm. in that. And I think this ensemble in Diana the Musical, too, kind of carried that same role for me. Mm -hmm. And then kind of what you were saying too, just ratifying what you were saying of everyone of such stunning singers Mm -hmm. and really committed, like through everything in every, in every one of their pieces. And I will agree, there were some facial expressions by Gina that I was a little unsure of. It seemed a bit (laughs) like hostile at times. Which again, maybe that was the wanted choice to kind of show what's bubbling Mm -hmm. underneath the surface or Mm -hmm. what have you. But I think overall, yeah, overall, everyone did brilliantly. It's just, yeah, the material, both song and script Mm -hmm. was just, they weren't serving each other, in my opinion. And that makes every element of a musical singing, acting and dancing Mm -hmm. that much harder, right? Because as the performer, you're not only... You are the vehicle to kind of serve the piece. So if you already have the piece kind of be disjointed, you have to. So you serve the piece, but then also you have to kind of piece together what you're bringing to the piece. So if the piece is kind of not knowing what it is,
0: mm-hmm. it's like
1: that much harder to kind of string together what you have to bring to the piece. If that yeah. if that makes sense. But yeah, but I thought they they did what they could. But they yeah. they were served. They really did. so. Yes, so I guess while we're talking about characters and casting, mm-hmm. kind of alluded to this throughout, but I want to go further. So who do you think, Mac, are the villains of the
0: story? <laughs> and are there any? Well, I mean, this musical goes very much out of its way to really try and vilify Camilla and Charles. Mm-hmm. Like, It goes mm-hmm. really out of its way to really make, like, jump on that Camilla and Charles hate train. That's been going since the 90s when this really all kind of came to light of their extramarital affairs they were having. So I definitely would say the musical is wanting us to see them as villains. The question is more personal for me of are there any? I would say there isn't because in any failed marriage, it's never just one thing. It's always a mix of multiple things that ultimately lead to a marriage and separation and ultimately divorce. Of a coupling. So I would definitely say, well, this musical is trying to make you see Charles and Camilla as villainous characters, for me, I go, there isn't any in the sense of, it's funny. Like, I was, after I watched the release season of The Crown, I came out going, that Charles, he's an asshole. Like, 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 ah, oh, he's an awful, awful person. But then I had to stop and go, no, he's a guy who was forced into a marriage that he never wanted to a woman who he never truly loved. And when you look at it from that angle, some of his motives and some of his actions are there, where he's trying to go through the steps of, of kind of doing what Royals did for a long time, which was do go through the steps, put pre- present wholesome marriage while doing something on the side with somebody else. And the trip up for him is that Diana not going to accept that lifestyle. She wants she wanted a partner who was there, committed to her, and so once again, it's kind of that 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 ultimate kind of destruction of the marriage was ultimately kind of brought about by just lack of love or lack of romantic love like there's like there's like they say after they signed their separation papers the first thing that Charles and Diana did was hug and cry with each other realizing that it was really over and that they both were able to move forward in life and not be hateful and not be trying to destroy each other but instead just be co-parents to William and Harry and the fact that they were doing that, up until she died after the divorce was finalized that really it was kind of Diana went off and did her thing Charles VIII was able to kind of start beginning the process of mending the relations that the public relations it was a lo- it's a long road for that a lot of harm was done both by him and by the media taking sides yep. so i would definitely say the musicals taking the easy way out of sale going Charles Camilla bad Diana good i would say the bigger story here if you're able to look at it that way is that there's no villains it's just two people who are missing each other it's kind of like the last five years the last five years is, is a story about two people in a relationship missing each other and that's Diana. Charles and Diana they are two people who were set on a course together but they ultimately were two people who were bound to miss each other she was 19 he was in his 30s that's to- yeah. totally different eras of life that you're at at that point he was wanting mm-hmm. somebody just to be the presentational wife she was wanting somebody to be an actual partner with yeah. like, two totally different agendas, two totally different people. He's country, yeah. she's city, right? Like they're just, they look good on paper. They both come from the same class of people, but they're just two totally different oil and water. And I think yeah. that's the ultimate tragedy is that it's the villains. Of, is that it? And, and just like in real life and in history, it's all gray. There is no clear black and white villain huh. a vill- villain and victim it is always a mishmash of multiple factors leading into a unfortunate tragic ending so that's my answer to this. question.
1: Right. yeah no and that's a perfect piggyback for me because I totally agree that this musical for some reason yeah like felt it necessary to personify the villainy that I think Mm. Diana experienced throughout her life Mm. because something again just kind of referencing the crown which I figured we'd be doing quite often in this Mm. episode regardless but what I really liked about the crown is that they did what I'm assuming was pretty a pretty realistic depiction of the toxic prestigious environment that Diana was thrown into right like in that show we kind of see that she was thrown to the royal dogs if you may yeah Um, right she wasn't she was ill prepared she was sort of depicted as the outcast from the Mm get-go and I think what this musical does at the end so at that our final snapshot of and we have a question about this later but I do want to bring it up now of When they have kind of like the ensemble looking downstage and sort of saying their last moments after we hear of the the crash, like of Diana's Mm -hmm. passing, and they walk forward. And to me, that kind of left me with, oh, it's the media, it's the folks that sort of shunned her throughout her whole life. Mm -hmm. That's who, those were the bad guys, right? Or those were Mm -hmm. the people who only saw the dress, didn't see the girl, only Mm -hmm. saw you know, the cowering, shy, didn't see the like proactive, mm-hmm. loving mom, right? Mm-hmm. And so they tried to do that at the end, but again, they had Camilla and, this is getting specific, but they had, I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly, it was Camilla and Charles, a little the bit Queen. more down, and the Queen, mm-hmm. downstage mm-hmm. than the rest of the ensemble. Yeah. And that was awkward for me as well, because it was like, These three characters didn't really have, Mm -hmm. they had the most impact on the iteration of Diana we saw on this musical. And two of them, as you mentioned before, Charles and Camilla kind of had the villainy cooking on the subplot, right? Mm -hmm. Subplot, like cooking on the sidelines. But it wasn't about them. Like, I think the message was all of us kind of didn't give her the platform that she deserved, or maybe didn't give her the benefit of the doubt Mm-hmm. And I wanted those characters to be absorbed into the ensemble.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I think that would have been more powerful of kind of like yeah. just a, a statement of humanity, if you will, too, of like mm-hmm. we've all gone through the despairs and we've all gone through the excitements that we yeah. you know, and like we're spotlighting this human who dies arguably because of too much spotlight, like with yeah. the car being paparazzi. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so kind of going back to who are the villains of the story throughout the whole piece, it very much was Charles and Camilla. But I was like, why are you trying to personify? Again, I think it was just this. There was a kink, a kink in mm-hmm. the patchwork, if you will. Of mm-hmm. okay, there, Camilla and Charles are our villains. Or how that's how is that going to flush out? And then at the end, it was like, at least my viewing of it was everyone kind of is in the wrong or everyone had had a mal maltreatment of her in some shape or form. So I was like, what? It's like they started at something and they didn't finish it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess, I guess the question too, is like, I don't, you know, the question of like, are there any, I don't think there
0: needed to be any. There didn't need to be a villain at all. No. Really?
1: Like, yeah, exactly. And there could, I like, like I said, there could have that sort of collective movement at the end, I think Mm -hmm. would pack a punch, but I don't think you needed like, to follow the sort of musical formula, if you will, of like, okay, mm-hmm. there needs to be like a downfall of this character. Mm-hmm. And then like a subplot song for this character. And it was a bit, it was a bit distracting. And I think also mm-hmm. like I, we've mentioned this outside of this conversation too, Matt. of I would love to see material on Charles and Camilla's life, right. Or see like an HBO series or something, mm-hmm. just spotlighting them, just following them. And so, yeah, because I think quite often they are subplots
0: to diana's story they always Um, are like even look in the crown right i mean i mean the actress who played camilla was the supporting character to emma corin's diana right i mean but she got i mean the actress who uh, emerald fennel so like she was fantastic and she had some really poignant moments of i can never win because i am the evil one in, in in this pairing i am the one who's stealing the husband I am the other woman who will always be the villain because in any good fairy tale, the woman has to be wronged to win. And I'm not the one being wronged. I'm the one who's doing the wrong, ergo, in the court of public opinion. And we just saw that now with Camilla being named Queen Consort one day. The first thing everybody was, should have been Diana? It's like, well, that's not how it's ended up here, people. Diana's past, may she rest in peace. And, And Camilla's the one that Charles is married to now, ergo, rightfully so she should get the proper title of queen consort because that is the title she will be, or the position she will be filling, whether she has the title or not. She will be chief consort to Charles as King one day, right? So that's the thing there. So, but yeah, oftentimes Charles and Camilla are pushed to the background for the sake of Diana being the more interesting victim of the story. What really should be done is all three of them are victims in this love triangle. All three of them have suffered in this. Diana suffered in her time Through through the marriage and Charles and Camilla have never fully recovered from that. Even though they have both been happily married now for decades, I mean they were together basically once the divorce paper was signed. They didn't get married till the mid two thousands, two thousand five I think it was something like that. And ever since then, like Camilla's been haunted. Basically, Diana's ghost continually haunts Camilla. No matter what she does, she will always be compared and looked down upon by people because she's not Diana. And I think that's the more interesting ending is having them just blend into the mass of people who, I mean, the media is still vilified for what they, for what happened with Diana there. I mean, we'll never know what happened in that tunnel. Was it the car speeding too fast? Was it the driver who had too much to drink? Was it the paparazzi flashing the light bulbs? We don't quite know what happened, but everybody has blood on their hands for what happened to Diana and the tragedy of her life. Even yeah. though I don't think Diana ever wanted to be seen as a victim to begin with. So the fact we keep victimizing mm-hmm. her in her own story, it's like, I don't know if Diana would ever really want that. I think Diana mm-hmm. made it very clear that she was moving on, finding love, moving forward with her boys. And so the fact we keep victimizing her, showcasing this one section of her life, that was probably the worst, yeah. most unhappy part of her life. is like, yeah. oh, what are we doing here? Like, What's the story? Once again, what's the story we're telling about Diana?
1: Yeah. And that is a beautiful launch pad to our next question, mm-hmm. which I'll start us off on. Yes. What was missing from the history of Diana's life mm-hmm. that you would have liked to see in this piece? And mm-hmm. I think just to pick up exactly what you're putting down, Mac, mm-hmm. of there is such a strength in her. And again, in just the mm-hmm. movies I've seen with her in it, in The Crown and the books I've read and the things... She was such a powerful woman, like mm-hmm. in a time where it was still, you know, I guess it was 70s, 80s that the women, female voice was a bit louder, but still yeah. vulnerability and risk came with being loud and came mm-hmm. with kind of choosing to go against the grain with things. Yeah. And so, especially to be the outcast in a royal family, the mm-hmm. sort of, for lack of a better statement, like, F you, I'm going to do what I want sometimes, yeah. or like, you know, I want to be present for my son's, you Mm -hmm. know, race or something, I'm going to go or like, I would like to talk to these children who have HIV and AIDS and hug Mm -hmm. them because they don't have anyone else. And it's that strength that I Mm -hmm. feel is backburnered a lot in these Mm -hmm. iterations of Diana. And so there is a scene in this piece where, again, it was kind of misplaced, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but I, I did like what they were trying to do and the piece where she visited the HIV and AIDS patients. It's so powerful. That whole chunk of history is very, to me, my mom is a pharmacist for HIV and AIDS patients. So and she's a pioneer in a lot of that movement from the medical side. And I kind of grew up with that. And along with the political side too, knowing that Diana was sort of a political or celebrity pillar in that Mm -hmm. movement for children and young folks who were scared and living in a time Mm -hmm. of nothingness and hopelessness Mm -hmm. and she was kind of that beacon of light Mm -hmm. and that's just sort of one charitable or one you know yeah I guess like like one pathway that she was going to stand up for she was going Mm -hmm. to represent and she was going to Mm -hmm. to relish in the humanity of Mm -hmm. if you may like she represented a human aspect of the crown that Mm -hmm. I think historically lacks sometimes because it is important for the like tradition and the way of doing things. And I think there's a lot of potential that the queen and Charles and everyone else could have learned a lot from Diane. And so they did like, right. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of wanted to see not only in this piece, but using it as a starting point while we're in the conversation, but in, in every iteration of her of, why aren't we highlighting that side of her, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just watched a brief clip, I think it was a couple of days ago of either Harry or William. I didn't get the full backstory of it, but one of them was doing like a potato sack race. And at the right. end, there was a bunch it was like, oh, a mother's race. Like all the mothers called were called to the field to do a race. Mm-hmm. and diana was wearing a skirt that day and whoever was with her was like no 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 you can't whoever's with her from like the royal like her chaperone if you will yes. was like no you can't do that you wearing a skirt and she's like well there's so many other mothers that have a skirt why can't i yeah. do it just because i'm wearing a skirt and i and she defied she defied the chaperone and was yeah. like you you, the and just like went underneath the thing and ran yeah. in the race and i was like, I know Go, exactly the like you're talking about." yeah and so There's that, there's like that vivacity and that fire. And yeah, like her personality was her personality. You can't change that. But I just think, yeah, she's so subsequent to the royal family. And I think a lot of people who are tangential, but maybe did have an impact on the royal family, they're always overcasted, right? They're always kind of shadowed. So I guess, you know, in a modern sense, in a modern lens, if we are bringing her back to the surface and we are talking about Mm -hmm. her, like we haven't stopped talking about her, but if we are highlighting her in a piece such as this and giving ourselves the opportunity to do that, I want to see like her at her core, you know, Mm -hmm. like I kind of wanted to see the quote unquote, like messy, messy side of the real side of Diana. Cause we already have so many things, so many, like I said, novels, series, movies of her in the royal family. We have a lot of stories with her through the blends mm-hmm. of Charles and the Queen, etc. I want just her, you know, mm-hmm. I want Diana, the true Diana, the musical. Yeah. That's and welcome to my like Diana, true
0: Diana TED Talk. Matt, yeah. would have. bring it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there's a few things that I think we're really missing particularly for this show, one is the fact that we missed out on the rest of the royal family. The fact that historically, both Prince Philip and Princess Margaret were actually very close with Diana. The fact that they really were people who took her under her wing. Like Princess Margaret really did understand some of the struggle Diana was going through because of her own failed marriage at the time. The fact that she never found love in the same way Princess Margaret did. And Prince Philip was the outsider once again. Like He was the prince of The the prince of Greece and Denmark. Like he was the outsider who had to change his last name, not have himself be fully connected with this partner because she's the queen. Like basically, he was kind of the shepherd of, if things had worked out, he would have been her mentor in that sense. Like he he was prince consort to the queen. She would have been queen consort to Charles. So the fact that like they did have a very, and the fact that more letters of between Philip and Diana have come out in the last few years that show a really, paternal relationship between the two of them. The fact that we never got that is really sad because once again, that would have added more character loss of when, like, like once again, like when the separation happens, like once again, people like to say like, Oh, the Royal family hated her. It's like, no, they didn't hate her. So they, she was loved. It was just, there also was growing pains there. I mean, she was trying to change an old establishment that is like, it's like any slow turning ship. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to turn a ship. It's, it doesn't turn on a dime. And so the fact that, I mean, Prince Philip came in and he was the shaker of his day, right? Like he was the one that televised the coronation and yeah. things like that. Like we see that in the crown repeatedly that Philip is one that's pushing the boundaries in his time. And Diana was doing very much the same thing in her time. So the fact that we kind of lost some of that there, which was the fact that it wasn't all bad for Dane. She did have love for these people, her in-laws. It was just purely her and Charles as a couple didn't work. Like, and the fact that once kind of, really the turning point historically was the 1992 book that she, the tell-all book. That was really kind of the one where she burned the bridge with everybody and with her in-laws. Like Princess Margaret very notably shut her out. Philip was very upset about it. Like, and the fact that like, once again character choice of if you'd have them in there and had that scene, because we do have that moment when the book is published. Like the fact that she had she loses. So it's a question of what did I gain? What did I lose? There's a song right there. They gain, like uh, the book sales are going up. So she's making money on the back end, but in the, in, in return, she lost key allies yeah. in, in her fight with yeah. Charles, right? Like character choices. And the other thing I would say that we're missing is t- going to kind of back to Dana the Victim is diana was very media savvy in a time when that was not fully thought of yet like today the right. fact there are pr firms who run the royal social media who coordinate the social outings for kate and william and camilla and yeah. charles and, and the queen and edward and his, and his and his partner i forget her name right now sophie sophie and
1: he, he's the only one still married i looked he that is. up recently of all the kids yeah
0: yes mm-hmm. um so, so the yeah. fact that like they now have a pr team who are looking after that back then that type of thing wasn't fully thought of it wasn't fully comprehended because the royal family wasn't as in the media press until the 90s when it really kind of took off with the war of the waleses and the failure of andrew's marriage and Anne's marriage like once again 1992 was a bad year for the queen she was very notable for saying that like this was the worst year castle burns down three divorces or separations like not a good time and like the media just swoops on them yeah and really kind of caught them from behind where it's they had never been in that situation before and the fact diana was savvy enough to understand the media landscape and knew hey if i go out in my revenge dress on the same night as charles doing his big tell-all interview i'm gonna pull attention from him which is the one thing he doesn't want that's gonna help me in my media battle against him great like that whole thing where she was very savvy in that like once again, she was master manipulator. Like, I'm sure she absolutely loved the AIDS patients and all the humanitarian work that she did with the landmines and things like that. But I guarantee there also was a bit of a side to her at the time going, What is my media image? What am I doing? What am I achieving with what, what I have by, by dressing this way or doing this? Like, Diana was no spring chicken on that front. Once she yeah. understood the media was going to be on her side and they were going to, willing to tell her story and sympathize with her, like, uh, she took oh. that and ran with it a mile away. And unfortunately, it caught up to her once again and led to well, her and I, downfall. And I think that's a story right there in itself of someone who and tries I think to spin I, the media until it spins you.
1: Totally. And I think mm-hmm. also this has come to mind and to the forefront now, it's going back to her age. Like, yeah. she was brought into this at age 19. Like, essentially, yeah. that in, like, royal social media lens back in the day would have been the equivalent of like a child actor rising to fame right really yeah there's a risk that comes with that there's yeah. so much responsibility and so yeah. much ask and so much exhaustion mm-hmm. because you're always having to be mm-hmm. on or you're always having to be you know painted a certain way or in a certain yeah. lens act a certain way
0: mm-hmm.
1: etiquette yourself a certain way yeah so yeah that, like it's like she was in so young
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: dealt the card she was dealt when she finally did get some agency. Yeah, it's almost like there. it's a classic case of you see some folks who rise to fame at a young age and they just have a downfall yep. and it all rushes to their head, right? Mm-hmm. And it starts, exactly, you nibble it on the head. You start pinning moments or pinning things against things and using it to your advantage in a negative way. And mm-hmm. I, cause I think you're right too. And I think, again, going back to the crown, what I loved about the relationship of charles and diana is they sucked the villainy out it was very mm. much like the two of them have faults i remember watching some of the episodes and being like oh my gosh i hate diana right now or like oh my yeah. gosh i hate charles right now because yeah. they were it was showing their like visceral sides and and well, there's a look in-
0: when she goes to hug the boy with aids in new york and she hugs the boy but then she gives a look to the camera a right. newspaper camera, and it's a, just a little look up and a little tiny smile, like not big, yeah. but just tiny enough that you go, Oh, she knows exactly what she's doing by yeah. doing this photo op, which is she didn't to have to have a photo op, she could have just like the boy on yeah. his own. But the fact that the media is there and she knows, and Charles calls her on it, goes, mm-hmm. We can hug people too, we can do exactly what you did, but we don't. And she goes, Well, yeah, you don't because you don't know love, right? I feel like
1: it's such a yeah. sticky situation too, though, because mm-hmm. I I would like to think that she would have been that sort of give-all humanitarian.
0: Oh, I humanitarian, definitely think she was. I think everything was a give-all humanitarian. Yeah, she was, I was yeah, smart yeah, like a, enough a hard to place know what of, she was doing, too. Like, like, you don't, like, humanitarians, like, I feel forget the amount of charities and things like that that the royals are patrons of, right? That aren't always pictured. So the fact that was but was like like doing n- photographs. No, like, yeah. Like, she knew, and that's something I think we miss is that Diana's savviness and smartness in an age when media was just coming into being—how entrepreneurial she was, in knowing mm-hmm. how to spin the media. Now, mind you, they probably didn't always reflect her inner feelings. Of, she, I guarantee you, she had love and affection for every child she hugged, at every AIDS patient, she yeah, had. yeah, yeah, with every landmine she helped uncover, all types of issues like that. Like, like she did that out of the goodness of her heart. But she also was not media smart enough to know the type of image she right Which i was do think though and Camilla at the time yeah
1: one thing though i think that and again it's kind of a chicken and egg situation mm-hmm. because spiraling us out of the 70s into the 80s mm-hmm. media was like on everybody's buffet plate. absolutely you know, right it was like absolutely. this was the new hot thing and yep. so it's it, it, chicken and egg in a sense of like the whole idea of what the royal image is Mm -hmm. or like, how do we get ourselves Mm -hmm. out there was changing. Absolutely. And you sort of support Diana in a way, even though knowing that, you know, once she knew she had this power, sure, I will agree with you. there, There was probably some negative angle or angle to use it as sort of like a tactic, if you will. But there's something about having her being a pillar of the Royal family in the eighties at a time when media was the way people were responding to things, the way people preferred, she took that leap, which again, going back to the Royal family and then, you know, again, we see this in the crown, they were, they're entrenched in tradition. Right. And like you're saying, it's difficult to hear a ship. I mm-hmm. think in again going back to even though this is about Diana, in, in the scene where we see Charles be like, "Well, we can hug people too." We, we I'm like, "But you don't, right?" You don't, like they yeah. don't. And yeah. the royal family was very much all like ruffle and posture and poise, mm-hmm. and there well, was something the of like we're going jealousy. People, but they wear gloves. But there there was yeah. a jealousy and a bit of a jealousy and a and I think almost like gobsmack smack in the face of like, "Oh, right, I guess we could be doing what you're doing, Diana, yeah. too." Diana did it first. She did, she and absolutely so, did. and so it's like there's mm-hmm. again there's this chicken and egg situation. It's yeah. like, it, you know, like no one wins here. You know whether if she yeah. and so,
0: yeah, I guess yeah. going back
1: to the question mm-hmm. of like what was missing in the history of Diana's life, like mm-hmm. I, I guess it's the real
0: story of power for her where you see her at the beginning of her relationship with Charles, where she's mobbed by the media. And she has to kind mm-hmm. of put the camera out of the face and you see her very uncomfortable deer in headlights. But yeah. by the time she's done, at the end of her life, she's totally mastered them. Like she knows how to catch them, how to entice them into telling her story. Yeah. She knows how to bring focus to something that needs to be brought focus to. Like Nobody was talking about mm-hmm. landmines in Africa the way she was. She, she went out there in the vest and the hard hat and totally brought attention to an issue that was huge. At the time, yeah. still is. I don't know. I'd have to go and look into that. But the fact that, like, she brought like, uh, she took something that was controlling her, as we saw at the royal wedding, where they were hounding her and kind of victimizing her in the sense of they were the ones controlling the story of who is she, what is she. Yeah. Raina, by yeah. the end, going, No, 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 I'll tell you how to tell the story. Like, yeah. I, I'll give you the story versus you telling me what or hounding yeah. me. Now it's the other way around. I think that's the big story for her: is that she, at nineteen, starts off as the deer, also by the end she becomes uh, the lioness who goes, "Yeah, love that." This is the story. I, I, this is what we're doing. I, this is what I'm doing with the media. I can spin it to help people. I can also can spin it to hurt Charles and Camilla in the in, in, yeah. tabloid in, 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 wars. I can do two things at once.
1: And I and I can. Like, and that's sad. my. That is, I can be that a mama lion too and protect yeah. my protect my boys.
0: Totally and totally yeah, was. Them, I mean, I mean there's give the them very as much of a normalized. Secret. Story yeah, where she went figure. up to the photographers and said, "Please, I'm with my boys. Leave us alone. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll come see you later." And they did. They kind of went away and left her alone. But it's that thing of she went from not knowing how to use the media to becoming very much the queen of media by the end. Where I mean, ultimately, then it kind of spirals out of control and ultimately leads to her downfall. But for a brief moment, it actually it's a great arc right there. Doesn't know the media, learns media by the end the media gets savvy again and she can't control it like she used to. There's a great character arc there that we kind of miss. It's more just snapping. Once again, it's the me- it's all from the media. It's all from that final image of the media controlling Diana versus we never fully get to but, see Diana's power with the media controlling hmm. her, controlling them. That I think we kind of miss in, in the story, bringing it back to the original question, what was missing it?
1: Yeah, Diana's totally. And
0: controlled the media that she learned and utilized to her full potential.
1: And here wedding us to the next uh, yes. the next question, which I want to bring back. You just brought up a really awesome image of how mm-hmm. Diana was sort of like a deer in headlights at the beginning mm-hmm. of her whole like trajectory being thrown into the royal dogs, as I mentioned earlier. And then how she ends up, yeah, this lioness who cl- claws whatever she needs to claw to kind of mm-hmm. remain... Agency for herself Mm. and protect her boys and Mm. try to kind of figure out who Diana is. So, veering us back to Diana the musical. Apologies, folks, as we're kind of tying in so many different media depictions of (laughs) our wonderful protagonist. But bringing us, uh, bringing us back, yeah, to the musical. So, Mac, like, how do you think this musical, this iteration of Diana in particular, paints paints the image of Diana?
0: Like, how? Is he not the best? They paint her as a very kind of the jaded wife. Like the fact that they do a whole boxing ring scene with her and Camilla when historically that's not what happened. Like we know from people who are at the party, it was much more subtle. It was just Diana showed up at the party. They had a conversation in public and she went home. It wasn't this big knockdown drag out, rocky fight, you know, that type of thing. And like the fact that like they sensationalized so much of her story, like our friend Michael Roth was saying how, pointed out right, rightly, that Diana was a big fan of the classical music. She was someone who could play the concert piano. And yet the fact yeah. that we have this number where Bruce Dow's playing the cello and it becomes this weird Elton John rock number. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Where, where it's basically saying poo-poo to classical music. It's like, no, there's a very famous clip of Diana showing up Charles who knew how to play cello by playing the piano better than him. Like, like, So the fact that like, she had an appreciation for classical music. So like, it paints a very kind of, She's either the angry wife, or she's the woman who is struggling in her marriage, or she's saying F you to the world, uh, F you to to the system, and I'm going to strike out with style and glamour versus brain and maturity that she was gaining along the way as a woman, as a mother, entering her 20s and into her 30s. So the fact that we don't get that, and it's more just, once again, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, it was the snapshot glans and glitz of let's hit the key story points. The revenge dress, the wedding dress, the style change entering into the 90s, the, the book, the War of yeah. the is the separation, like and the crash. Like, the fact that we're hitting all these kind of snapshot moments and we're ha- only hitting the surface of who she was paints not the best picture of the woman who was far more complex, far more yeah. intuitive, far more savvy, far more human than what we're given we are given the superficial diana the diana who is all about the glitz and the glamour and the fashion not which i mean diana was all about fashion too let's not be mistaken diana was a fashion icon who changed fashion very much so but she also was someone who could get down to the jeans and and the shirt and just go play with the boys in the yard Like, like she was human and i think what this piece missed was the human element absolutely Diana was yeah. Focus too much on the glitz and the glamour of the name princess Diana not the human who behind the name you know
1: yeah I could couldn't have said that better myself Mac I <laughs> totally totally agree and just to add again literally mm-hmm. what you how you said it was beautiful but to add and just to speak to you kind of put a title to the different snapshot scenes mm-hmm. right of like the war of the whales and you know her f you to the world with the Duke revenge mm-hmm. dress and Every one of those snapshots had like Diana as the like the Diana in the lens of jealousy or Diana Mm -hmm. in the lens of bitch, if you would. There's my swear word for this episode. Diana, yeah, Diana in the lens of angry, angry wife. Diana in the lens of desperation. So Mm -hmm. often I find there is like a desperate glaze that is put on her character, Mm -hmm. not only in this musical, but in other iterations too, that I'm like, Sure. Maybe there was a part of her character that kind of had that, but I feel like it is always just like frosted on like this Mm -hmm. whiny, demure, which I'm like, what is, I don't see that serving other quality. Like, I I just feel like I feel like it's often highlighted that it's frustrating to kind of Mm -hmm. watch. Um, And so yeah, I think that this piece Again, highlights that along with so many other pieces of media that (laughs) that surround her life. But especially, yeah, and with kind of, again, going back to this disengaged script and score, right? So like the foundation of the whole piece was sort of shambly. How can we possibly have a full crisp through line of our protagonist, right? A full crisp arc when the form itself isn't supporting what it needs to support. Mm -hmm. And again, maybe this is now that we're unpacking this, maybe that's like a dramaturgical essay I maybe want to get into of how like Mm -hmm. the mismatched form and shambly kind of vibe of the score and the script and the characterization of this piece. Is it supposed to be kind of representative of the push and pull and multiple facades and mismatched personas that Diana had to take on or that Diana was depicted as right. Like, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't able, I wasn't able to, again, I wasn't able to fully marry myself to that um, Mm -hmm. possible takeaway, but yeah, I just, I was, I was left with a lackluster feeling towards Diana too. And for someone who I guess has never experienced the crown or has read her book or knew a lot about diana i would be interested to see like sort of what they think of if we are just thinking of diana as a character right like we know this is a mm-hmm. biopic this is diana princess diana but if someone had no idea about the royal family or didn't know like i would just be curious to know what folks thoughts were of, like as this character right as our protagonist mm-hmm. character in this musical i don't think you know they were given the best Conclusion. I don't think they were given the best sort of storyline, blueprint, if you will. You know, aside from the historical due diligence that a lot of us be- seeing this musical probably do know of, yeah. that was lacking, which was un- unfortunate. But yeah, so as we kind of conclude that thought, let's dive mm-hmm. into our concluding thought, which has yes. to do with the piece's conclusion, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I kind of unpacked a bit of my thoughts on it earlier but I want to add a different sort of flavoring to this question of what are your thoughts Mac on the piece's conclusion like on how the story cinched Mm -hmm. but I want to also have us unpack the piece's conclusion now knowing that this musical is not like its run was cut on Broadway yeah why I kind of want to unpack like why maybe that is or what impact does this kind of short-lived musical on the stage now right it's forever as far as we know forever preserved on Netflix but yeah what does that kind of do to the story that was arguably written for the stage first
0: yeah so a lot to go with there but I will yeah oh my goodness you'll probably have to remind me of some of the points I got to cover along the way conclusion I mean it's interesting like I actually went back and rewatch the end just to kind of refresh myself because it's been a hot sex since we watched it so for me i go the conclusion is they were kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too where it's you want you wanted to give diana the triumph of the separation but then they also wanted to shoehorn in everything that happened after the separation which is the 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 landmines the like all that type of stuff and then ultimately the crash and her death they all kind of tried to shoehorn in that into the ending montage and i'm like you didn't have to do that so i once again i feel once again they were trying to cram so much into this musical there's like very rushed in my yeah we're like we don't know how to end this show with why like, getting it all in so we'll just do a bit of a video montage voiceover ending which kind of really detracted from the moment of diana's triumph and i mean if your story's about diana coming into her own coming out on top after a very difficult time then and like let it end on that note like, don't second guess yourself on that. If that's the story you want to tell, yeah. by all means, tell that story and just own it and go. We all know what happens in the end. I mean, the fact that there's a this the, in the final scene with the queen that she offers royal protection. and Diana, however, refuses. And I mean, I know when I watched this, you know, I just went, oh, no, Diana. Like, you just signed the ultimate downfall of yourself is that everybody said if you have proper protection and security. Yeah, the ultimate accident could have been avoided. It's kind of the uh, Titanic not seeing the iceberg soon enough and steering straight ahead, and ignoring the warnings, and she's not seeing the danger of the media at that time. So there's enough foreboding in that final scene between her and the Queen that we didn't need to cram in the death montage yeah. in there. Yeah, just let her have her moment at the end. Let her win, which is what you were. If I'm if understanding the musical, that's what you were wanting to do. So let her have the win. End on that note, and just. Let her walk off into the sunset. I think that's a yeah. more beautiful note to end her story on yeah. for that for, uh, on stages is let her walk off into the sunset with her boys, like have two young yeah. actors come out. She takes that. Her, yeah. It's, it's kind of like Just, Spencer, the ending of Spencer mm, with uh, Chris Kristen Stewart, Stewart where mm-hmm. the musical ends with her or the film. And uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of the film, but the ending was nice where she kind of gets to drive off with her boys, which right. is what she ultimately wants. So the fact she yeah. gets to walk out of, the, like out of the meeting with the queen, she gets to see her boys and they walk off into the sunset together. Yeah. I think that's a better ending than anything. We well, and been.
1: there's like a powerful image of her kind of walking up stage and being mm-hmm. like in silhouette. Yeah. Right. And we see like just this body mm-hmm. of like empty darkness kind yep. of, but it's pungent and it's there and it's mm-hmm. stark and it has all the attention that it deserved. Yeah. One would argue or that it could have, right. It she didn't, you know, no, no face, no flashy yeah. dress, just a silhouette and then lights out kind of thing. Yeah. And you're yes. kind of left with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's that silhouette, that shadow, that yeah. that empty void and the inner side of her kind of thing. Right. Without mm-hmm. all the glitz and the glam. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's I, what
0: I would have said for the ending is do that. Yeah. and just give her the win. That you want to give her. I mean, the music kind of starts with kind of a, a bit of a, an Avita beginning, where it's like she yeah. comes in and she sings, presumably after she's dead. And so, give like, if you're going the Ava like, like Vita route, let her have her moment, and then let her walk off. I mean, we all know she dies. You don't have to sledgehammer. I mean, once again, this musical was very sledgehammery to begin with, so I'm not overly shocked that they sledgehammered us right at the end there, one final time. But I just go let her have the win, let it be done. I think I answered all the questions or did I miss something?
1: No, oh, that's pretty well. Yeah, because I'm going to take it and then I'm gonna, yeah. I'll i bring the sort of add-on thoughts back. But okay. I totally agree with you and my the whole silhouette vibe. I like that. There's something like that where, yeah. right, you just ended in a high, ended in a, in a win mm-hmm. to preserve a little bit of her agency. That yeah. was taken away from her when that, when the crash did happen. Right. Like there was so much like how her loss happened. Mm -hmm. She lost 10 times more than, you know, so, so yeah. So it was, it came out of left field a little bit. The ending, it was very abrupt again, flashy. And I talked about this earlier, right. The whole, what is the statement of the rest of the ensemble being on stage and then that walk forward. It's like, are you walking against Is this like a all of the characters now are divorced from themselves and these are just the actors kind of taking a stance in Diana's story and Mm -hmm. they're the ones like coming when they walk down stage. Is that the actor kind of like we've learned her story. We know her true story. And now let Mm -hmm. us walk on and tell her true story beyond what you just saw. That was like, you know, slight glimpse into Mm -hmm. what I think that final moment can mean. Again, it it was placed upon a canvas. It was almost like this musical to me was like a beautiful canvas, but just like a lot of different styles and a lot of different color palettes placed Mm -hmm. on the same canvas. Yeah. That I was like, Not sure what was, what's happening here. Um, And I, yeah, I just think because of the rushness, because of the, you know, veering away from our protagonists and not being strong as to why you are turning to the Mm -hmm. ensemble, it left me with a bit of like, yeah, an unsettling, upsetting conclusion. But to take me, take us back to my add-on thought of how this piece clearly was made for the stage. And then maybe possibly the times we're living in due to the pandemic, which I think this is where it went, why they recorded it. Mm -hmm. But I guess this is kind of just like, you know, not only with this piece, Matt, but just in general of like, you know, we've done a lot of these conversations with our review panels and with Duet Reviews and Mm -hmm. the Cup of Hemlock Bear. We were fortunate to have these pro shots these abilities to Mm -hmm. kind of be able to see through the lens of a camera stage work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was, you know, we knew the pieces were done on stage first and then as an after fact, thankfully due to archivals, we have a preserved piece that we are allowed Mm -hmm. to watch, but this piece's origin has a bit of a different trajectory because arguably it was staged for the stage to Mm -hmm. have a life. And then possibly due due to the pandemic, they made the project choice of, Filming for Netflix. Unless yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, if that was already kind of in the works. I so um, don't know if it in the works ahead of time. Right. Okay. Sure. And then after that, it still releases to Broadway on stage. Yeah. So it kind of has this ping pong thing of like, rehearsed for the stage, written for the stage, and for live theater, mm-hmm. then gets placed into a pro shot kind of preserved setting, but then comes. Out of that, back to the stage. Mm -hmm. And I guess, like, I think this is a good opportunity for you and I, Mac, to kind of, like, just have our thoughts, opinions on that. Like, what is that? And then to know that they're returning this digital facet of the piece to the stage. It had a short run. Mm -hmm. And again, living the times we're living in, due to the pandemic, like, there could be so many extraneous forces that are working against the longevity of this piece. But... Yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Mac? Like, how, you know, like, why do you think it ended when it ended? What are maybe the advantages and disadvantages Mm -hmm. of going digital and then popping out to live again? I'm curious.
0: Well, I mean, so I definitely, as much as I enjoyed this approach, I definitely think it ultimately kind of was the death nail in the coffin of this show. I mean, the reviews weren't great either. So, enough bad reviews will sink any show because the court of public opinion is. Dominated by when people are looking to spend their money, where like what's the first place they look to is what are the people who have already seen the show saying? It's just like us going to the movies. Do I want to pay to see the Batman or should I pay to go see Uncharted? What's the ratings
1: on Rotten Tomatoes? Like
0: what? (laughs) Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, right? I mean, I mean, this musical didn't get a good score. It didn't get a good critique. So the mix of the critics and the audience is already not being big fans of it. Mixed with now you add in, why would I pay 200 bucks to go see it on Broadway when I can sit in my living room and enjoy it just as much being even closer than I would ever be in a Broadway house? Why would I do that? like it's unfortunately, I don't know if they ever thought they were going to open on Broadway and that's why they chose to do it. I don't know their exact reason of why they chose to do a pro shot. Yeah. Good for them that they did. I think more shows should go pro shot. I think I think any time a show is closing on Broadway there should be a pro shot done so it can be seen by the masses or at least do a pro shot of the original cast before the original cast leaves like how, like how many times right. have we heard I wish they had done a proper pro shot of Wicked with Idina Menzel and Christian Chenoweth and Joel Gray yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Norbert Leo Butts right like cuz I mean I know I was too young to go see it on Broadway but people who saw it said it was terrific like uh, seeing Michael Crawford, Sarah Brightman in Phantom of the Opera, seeing the original Phantom Christine, right? There's a benefit to doing these pro shots is it makes it accessible for people who would never have the opportunity, like people in the Midwest, up here in Canada, because we can't get across the border until recently. Sure. Yeah. Like, it, it gives us the chance to see a piece we probably would never have seen otherwise. And so as much as I appreciate it, and I very much enjoyed watching it at home, I also go, ultimately, unless your show is super successful, and warrants me going to see it live, like there are like very, Hamilton,
1: like,
0: <laughs> Hamilton
1: potentially, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: Lion King, like uh, Lion King on Broadway. Like I'm sure if they did a pro shot, people would still want to go see it live because it's such a spectacle. Same thing with Phantom. Same thing with Les Mis, Miss Saigon, even Cats. Those shows are spectacles <laughs> that wants yeah. being seen live. This show proved once you saw the pro shot. Cut because the material wasn't there to support it, you kind of go, okay, saw it seen it, done it. Don't need to go pay more money to go see it live. I'm not gonna get anything new out of it. I'm not gonna get a new perspective. the show is kind of yeah. it is what it is. So and I hope that this show doing what it did. I mean, Hamilton's ticket sales are actually up since it came yep. back. And people attribute that to people seeing the pro shot and now wanting to go see it live. So like that just goes to show if you have a good show and people can see it at home. And you bring it to them live, that usually means they'll be able to, like, there's more of an interest to go and see something yeah. tangible in person because you go, I liked it that much when I saw it at home. I'll like it even more. Like, it's kind of like these new things that they're doing, which are these films in concert. I don't know. Do you like, I have, like, have you heard of these, Joe?
1: No, I have not.
0: Yeah. I so, what see. it is basically, films are being toured across North America and in the year in Europe. And what they do is they take the orchestra track out of the film, and then a live orchestra and choir—there's a choir in the soundtrack—perform the show or perform the music live. So I've done it with Bond, Casino Royale. I've done it with the the Harry Potter movie, and I'm going to see Princess Bride. And each of these times, I mean, I know Princess Bride—I'm excited for that—but each of these times you go see it, you get this visual connection, and they go, "Okay, that was worth me spending the money." Right, 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 right. Because I love the movie at home. But now I get to go get a whole new experience seeing this music perform live for me. It adds a new element to the film. It adds a new experience. Same thing with this. Yeah. I watched the pro shot of Cats from the 90s. I still end up going to see it in theater because I go, there's something special about seeing Cats yeah. done live in person. There's something special about going to see that helicopter scene, the follow Saigon, live in person. Yeah. I feel that energy, that destruction, that despair, that helicopter fly. There's something special about seeing it live that Yes, it's cool to see it shot for the 25th anniversary of *Miss Saigon*, but there's something totally different about seeing it in the theater. It gives you a different experience. And I think with what this show proved with its pro shot, is there was nothing worth seeing in person. You, you get, there's nothing warranting you going to see that there. I mean, the costume changes are great. You get an up close look at them. What right, am I going right. to miss?
1: That's the thing. There's almost like elements of this piece, like the magical elements, which a lot of that, yeah, like rested in the costume changes, rested in. We talked about like the the staging elements, right? Like the specific gobos that were used in lighting Mm -hmm. and the ensemble, like succinctness between everyone, the chorus members, especially like it was almost more breathtaking to see that up close, like to see that artistry mm-hmm. up close than seeing it in person. And I think you're right too. There wasn't like a giant chandelier for this yeah. musical or there wasn't like pieces mm-hmm. similar to like Lion King where like the intricacy mm-hmm. of like the cautions of that is they're stunning. And to be mm-hmm. in the room with those and to see the puppetry and stuff like that, of certain pieces, like the, there's, there's a liveness that resonates in those pieces that this one served really well in a pro shot digitized form I think and I'm so curious of like if again a chicken and egg situation if they kind of knew that and then alongside like I said these extraneous variables of of pandemic and Mm -hmm. there was so much traction with the crown with the new seasons filtering out if this was just like a wonder like an opportunity that they had to cinch right of riding that diana wave like we said earlier with the crown happening on netflix the idea that folks were turning to streaming services in and out Mm -hmm. of the pandemic because that sometimes was the only access to creativity people had it was like let's put it let's put it on and then it just i'm i would love to be in the room where they just still decided to go forward of putting it in person of Mm -hmm. like i wonder if it was a conversation of like let's try this let's just try to put it On stage, see what happens, right? Like folks are hungry to come back to a live something or other, whatever it is. Or if there was like, if it was a bit of a like, like, we'll see what happens kind of vibe, right? And then what did happen was a shorter run. And again, there's so many things floating around the world right now that probably that probably contributed to the decisions made. But I think mm-hmm. you're right, Mac, but This this piece it wasn't worth going into person for if you had the opportunity to see it digitized. Yes. And honestly, you probably would have gotten more, like you're saying, like being up close and personal mm. to, to the magic moments and to the flash, the flashy. You know, the like having there was times in the piece too where I was like blinking a lot because there was so much paparazzi happening, mm-hmm. like right I kind of felt like what Diana might have been going through. Mm-hmm. But to be kind of in the balcony seat, if you will, in a live theater space, I don't know if I would have had that same that same response.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I just think it's so interesting. It's very interesting. And I'd be curious to see if this sort of like you were saying, Mac, with what you're describing with this like film and orchestration, I think that's such a brilliant mm-hmm. sort of marriage of two mediums right where we mm. have like a digitized preserved piece of art and then yep. you're adding a live experience it kind of reminds me of i went to like an orchestration of a game of thrones score yeah so it was like mm-hmm. a live concert where it's like this is the music yep. that was constantly piping piping through my ear my surround sign system you know growing yeah. up with my family on the couch to watch each episode of game of thrones but now i'm seeing it live with like Bodies moving together, bows, you know, stringing together. And there was, there, I was emotional. It was like an added experience. And I'm curious to see as we kind of come out of the digitized sort of lockdown moments that the pandemic has given us, if there is going to be more of that marriage or if there is going to be more of productions that kind of exist like this, where maybe they were made live, they go digital and then they go live, or they were made digital and then they go live and then they go digital, like just. A shakeup of of form. Anywho, that seems to be a catalyst for a conversation for another day. Indeed. Uh, But that brings us to the end of our thoughts for Diana the Musical.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, Joe, would you recommend people watch Diana the Musical if they're futzing around on Netflix on a Friday night to see what's out there? I think so. I think,
1: like, why not? Maybe have one or two of these nearby, if you will. Mm-hmm. Create, you know, maybe like a little fun game for yourself. It's fun. Like I said, the music is fun. The Ryan performances, really liked are. It. The performances our, are stellar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ryan, Ryan was giggling throughout the whole thing. He
0: understood what was going for. And, and I mean, Jill right. and I were both sitting there sometimes shocked and shaking our heads. But Ryan, our wonderful co-producer, watched it along with us. And he thought it was. he was having a hoot of a time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I it, think it's definitely worth a watch. But yeah, but just there's a it's a variety of, of tastes. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Mac, let's, this was awesome. I think we unpacked.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Again, if so anything,
1: much- we have the experience of watching a Broadway caliber performance on a streaming service that all of us can have access to or can borrow someone's Netflix password to have a- access yep. to. Mm-hmm. So definitely give, give it a watch if you would like. And as usual, as we round out these episodes, Mac, would you like to plug your socials?
0: Sure. You can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner. You can Follow my pod before the Downbeat, a musical podcast where we talk all about musicals. We will not be covering Diana musical anytime soon as we have a 10 year rule in place in order to cover a show is that it has to be at least 10 years old to give proper reflection and uh, introspection. So we won't be covering that anytime soon, but there's definitely some other great musicals out there that we were covering. I mean, we as of this week, we are releasing our episode about Bye Bye Birdie of the Americana bygone era of the 1950s so class well, was discussed there and we get it all into class and spectacle and how does it, it, it influence a musical so there's lots of great stuff there so check that on out before the downbeat a musical podcast all right jill how about thank you, you we find fine
1: follow you Yes, as per usual, my artist Instagram account, Jillian.Robinson96. I believe that is my handle. It's been a while since I've said one of these. But nevertheless, yes, find me there. I have some projects coming down the pipe. So I will probably post posters or video snippets, clips of things yeah, down the line. So keep your eyes peeled for that. if need be. And as always, be sure to follow Cup of Hemlock on all of our socials. Mm-hmm. And if you are watching this on YouTube, be sure to subscribe, like, comment. We'd love to hear from you. Similarly, ratings on our podcast channel, too. And Perfect. other than that, I think we can sign ourselves out there, Mackenzie. Cheers. As to always, you. folks. Hip, hip. Yes. I have no more drink left, but yes, cheers, cheers. cheers. Stay safe, folks. Stay well, Thanks. stay happy. Do what you gotta do to get us through these times. We love you here at Cup of Penlock and we will talk to you soon. Cheers, everyone.
0: Bye. Love it.
1: Thanks, everybody. Bye.